I'm delighted that you're here. We have a good number present. We have a number of visitors, several from the church at El Bethel where I worship and preach. We're delighted they are here. We've had some every night. In fact, I think even including Sunday night and Wednesday night, we've had some to come and be with us. And we appreciate so much the presence of everyone. We've been mentioning our topics each night. We only have one more left after this one. And tomorrow evening, we'll be looking at the question of the earnest cry of Bartimaeus. We'll be talking about breaking out of our rut. And perhaps you feel like you're in a rut. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your spiritual life. Maybe it's something else going on in your life and you feel like you're in a rut and I don't know how to break out of that. We'll talk about the parallel between us and Bartimaeus in the earnest cry of Bartimaeus tomorrow evening. Let's turn our focus to another subject now and we've been announcing that we'd be talking about encouragement. Encouragement is something all of us need. Every person present says they need encouragement and that's accurate. In fact, there are times that we need it more than at other times. It may be that you're in a great need for encouragement. At this moment, but maybe six months ago or a year ago, you didn't need it as much as you do now. Or it may be that you don't need it as much now as you may need it in the future. There are different times we need encouragement. But at all times, there is someone who is in need of encouragement. At any congregation, someone is in great need of being encouraged. We need it because we become discouraged. We go back in the Old Testament to Numbers chapter 21 and in verse 5, and we see that as the children of Israel were making their way toward the promised land and coming through the wilderness, verse 4 says, as they went to go around the land of Edom, the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. The Old Testament characters became discouraged. Well, Elijah was a man who became discouraged. In fact, he was so discouraged, he thought he was the only one left. He said, I alone am left. This was the occasion where Jezebel was seeking to kill him. He thought he was the last one on earth left trying to do what was right. He was discouraged. Well, we see the Hebrew Christians were discouraged. And that's the reason that the book of Hebrews was written is because they were discouraged. We spoke earlier in the week about Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 12, where their hands were hanging down and their knees becoming feeble, a picture of discouragement. And if we become discouraged, that means we need encouragement. Now that discouragement may be prompted by any number of things. It might be dis, uh, prompted by something spiritual. There may be something spiritual going on or something within your spiritual life that has discouraged you. Or it may be something physical. It may be something with your physical life. It may be something with your health that is discouraging you. Or it may be something material and financial that is discouraging you. All we're trying to establish is the fact that we all need encouragement. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and in verse 6. And I want us to see that God gives the comfort that we need. We all need encouragement and God gives the comfort that we need. 2 Corinthians 7 and in verse 6 says, Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Those who are in 2 Corinthians 7, 6, notice he comforts the downcast, the text says. Well, one translation says he comforts those who are troubled, the New Century says. The New American Standard, those who are depressed. The New Living Translation says those who are discouraged. 
God comforts those who are troubled or who's, who are discouraged. Here's what I conclude from that, that the comfort and encouragement that I need, God gives that to me. You may be one who says, you know what, I need some encouragement and I wish I was getting encouragement and I don't feel like I'm getting encouragement. Well, this text tells me that God comforts those who are discouraged. And so I have to conclude from that, the comfort and encouragement I need, God is giving that comfort and that encouragement. Therefore, I need to know how God does that. Why do I need to know how God does that? Because it may be that God is giving me the encouragement that I need and I don't realize that. You see, I may be crying out saying, I need encouragement. I wish somebody would encourage me. I'm greatly in need of encouragement. You're not encouraging me. And you may be encouraging me. In fact, God may be providing that encouragement. And I don't even realize that. Because God comforts those who are downcast. We are, in fact, commanded to encourage others. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, if you will. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and in verse 14. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and in verse 14 The text says, now we exhort you, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak. Look at the phrase, comfort the faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted, the American standard would say. Well, if I am commanded to encourage those who are discouraged, that's something I'm supposed to be doing, then I need to know how to do that. What do I need to do in order to encourage someone who is faint-hearted or discouraged? Well, let's consider something else. I want you to consider with me that encouragement may involve more than you think it involves. How so? I want to suggest to you that some define encouragement as merely hearing what I want to hear. I mentioned earlier in the week, we'd come back to, uh, come back to the passage found in 1 Kings chapter 22 and in verse 13. If you want to turn there, you can, but I'm going to remind you of the story. For those who've been here, you'll remember the story of how that Ahab was wanting to go to battle. He asked Jehoshaphat to go with him. And remember, Jehoshaphat said, let's inquire of the Lord. And 400 prophets said, let's go, let's go. Remember that? And Jehoshaphat said, well, what about, is there any other prophet around? Well, there's this Micaiah, but I don't like him because he doesn't say the things I like. So when the messengers got to Micaiah, when he came in, they went and told Micaiah, verse 13, remember what they said? They said, the other prophet said they needs to go. What you need to do is encourage him and tell him to go. See, they're using encouragement in the sense of tell him what he wants to hear. That's what you need to tell him. He wants to go to battle, so tell him it's okay to go to battle. And he said, I can't do that. I have to tell him whatever God said. So what I'm learning from that is some people define encouragement as hearing what I want to hear. You tell me something, I don't want to hear it, but that's not encouraging. I want to hear what I want to hear, and that then is encouraging. I want to consider with you that encouragement is far more than a pat on the back that you're doing good. Someone may come around and say, you know what, you're a good person, you're doing good. And that we label as being encouragement. Encouragement may include talking about something controversial. Some people say, I don't like controversy. I don't like that. I just just get nervous around controversy. It may be that talking about controversial can be encouraging. It may be that it includes something that's negative in its nature. 
You say, I had a conversation with one of the elders and he was kind of negative about my spiritual life and I wanted some encouragement that may have been encouraging. And it may include a discussion that makes you uncomfortable. Let's talk about encouragement, things that encourage. And so if you don't already have your Bible open, I encourage you to get a Bible. This is going to be somewhat of a word study of the word encouragement. We're going to look at a number of things the Bible labels as being encouraging. And you might find it helpful to underline or highlight or mark somehow in your Bible where the word encourage is used and look at the context of that. So let's just list a number of things the Bible labels as being encouraging, things that encourage. Let's start with this. The first thing I want us to see is that knowing God is with us is encouraging. Knowing that God is with us and blessing us should be and is encouraging. Well, God's presence and blessings encouraged Old Testament characters. Let's go in our Bibles to the book of Ezra. Let's go to Ezra chapter 7 and look at verses 27 and 28. And notice what Ezra said. He said, blessed be the God, the Lord God of our fathers, who has put such a thing in the king's heart to beautify the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem and has extended mercy to me before the king and his counselor, before all the mighty princes. And notice the word in. So I was encouraged. What do you say? I was encouraged. As the hand of the Lord my God was up on me, and I gathered leading men of Israel to go up with me. What encouraged you, Ezra? I was encouraged that God's hand was with me and up on me. So we are encouraged when I recognize God's presence and God's blessings are up on us. Let's go to another Old Testament passage, this time to the book of 2 Chronicles, the 32nd division. And let's begin reading at verse 6. 2 Chronicles... Chapter 36, beginning at verse 32. I mean, uh, chapter 32, beginning at verse 6. Notice down through verse 8. We'll watch for the idea of encouragement. He says, Hezekiah, when upon the invasion of Sennacherib, notice the text says, and he set military captains over the people and gathered them together to him in the open square of the city gate and gave them, here's your word, encouragement. How to give them encouragement. Here's what he said. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed for, before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. With him is the arm of flesh, but with us the Lord our, is the Lord our God to help us to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do you see what he said? He's saying they may be a strong army. They may have a lot of people, but God's on our side. And the people were strengthened, but the text says he encouraged them with those words. What I'm learning is that knowing God is with us and God is blessing us is encouraging. Now, God has given us a promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Without turning there, you remember that promise is given in Hebrews 13 and in verse 5. That we are to avoid covetousness, knowing the Lord has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Well, that was a promise that God had given. But what does that have to do with encouragement? Well, let's go back now to the book of Deuteronomy. And notice the quotation that is being referred to in Deuteronomy 31 and in verse 6. 
Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 is referencing Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 said, be strong and of good courage. Good courage and encouragement are one in the same. Do not fear nor be afraid for the Lord your God, he is one who goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. In other words, knowing that causes one to be encouraged. If you know that God's with you, if you know God is blessing you, that is encouraging. Now we could stop at this moment and say the sermon is over and we have learned what it means to be encouraged. But let's go further. Let's notice another thing that is encouraging. The word of God itself is encouraging. Now let's be reminded of some things about the word of God, that it's powerful and that it's active. It's alive and working. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, the text says. And so I learned from that that it's active and it's working, it's powerful. Now Isaiah chapter 55 verse 11 tells us that the word will not return unto him void, but accomplish that whereunto he sent it. It's not a dead letter. It's not an inactive word. It's a powerful, active, and working word. It is able to build one up. Paul told the elders of the church at Ephesus, I commend you to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. It's active and it's alive. It comforts. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse, four, uh, verse 18, after describing the resurrection, he said, wherefore comfort one another with these words. All I want you to see here is the word of God is powerful and indeed it is active. But let's take that a step further. When the word of God is taught, it encourages no matter what aspect of the word it may be. I think we limit the idea of encouragement that the aspect of the word that makes me feel better is encouraging. Now this part of the word, it may be part of the revelation. I'll agree with that, but that's not very encouraging. That's not what I'm learning from these texts. When the word of God is taught, it encourages. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and in verse 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and in verse 2. Let's look at Timothy's work at Thessalonica. That Paul said, I sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Timothy's going to go work. He's going to go preach. He's going to teach. What he's going to accomplish is it's going to encourage you. That's encouragement. The word of God is being taught. Well, let's go to Acts chapter 13. Let's go to Acts chapter 13, if you will. And in verse 15, and notice, in Acts chapter 13 and in verse 15, concerning Paul's sermon that was preached. But before he began preaching his sermon, notice the statement that was made at verse 15. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue made a request. What did they say? They said, men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation, English standard, if you're reading it, says encouragement. If you've got any word of encouragement, say on. Well, you can read the rest of the chapter and see what he did. He got up and preached a gospel sermon about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was his word of encouragement. It wasn't merely patting them on the back, telling them what great people they were. Whenever responsibilities are taught, that is encouragement. Let's go over to the book of Titus, if you will. Titus chapter 2, and giving the requirements of how older women are to teach younger women. Notice verse 4 said that they may admonish the young women to love their husbands and love their children. 
Well, that's talking about responsibilities they have. Older women teach the younger women. Here's the responsibility you have towards your husband, the responsibility you have towards your children. The New American Standard translates that encourage them. Encourage them to love their husbands and love their children. So when you are giving them responsibilities by the revelation of God, that is encouraging. Let's go to another text. I hope you're taking your pencil, underlining, marking some of these for future study. Let's go to Acts chapter 20 and notice at verse 2. When they'd gone over that region, revisiting the churches, in other words, they'd gone over that region and encouraged them with many words. They're going back and revisiting the churches and telling them things that God would require of them. And they were encouraging them with those words. You see, when we're learning the revelation of God, that encourages us. Or you may not be learning it, you already know it, but it's being reinforced. That also is encouraging. Let's go to Acts 15 and we're going to come back to Acts 15 a little bit later. So let's go to Acts chapter 15 and notice at verse 31, here they're seeing the reinforcement of what they already know. And when they read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. We'll get the details of that in just a moment. That was the reminder, circumcision is not binding. And when the church at Antioch received that, the text says they were encouraged. For some, they may have been learning the revelation of God. For others, they already knew that and they're being reinforced with what they already know. Both of those are said to be encouraging. Let's notice one other text along that line. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and in verse 31. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 31. This is in the context of some thinking that tongues are a greater and superior gift. And his point is that prophecy, if there is a superior gift, it would be prophecy because tongues without interpretation doesn't leave you with anything, but prophecy would. Notice verse 31. He said, for you, uh, for you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. See, when prophecy is giving the revelation of God, you're learning, but you're also encouraged. What am I learning from that? The word of God is encouraging anytime the word of God is taught. So you go to Bible class and you say, well, you know, that, that was kind of uh, an Old Testament section about the prophets. And I just don't enjoy that like I do some of the New Testament stuff. But that's encouraging. It's part of the revelation of God. And you come over to a passage that, that maybe is kind of hard. But if you learn something from that, that's encouraging. Anytime any aspect of the word of God is revealed and taught, that is encouraging. Things that encourage. Here's a third thing. Being with brethren of mutual faith is encouraging. Being with brethren of mutual faith. You see, we're encouraged by being with faithful brethren. I want you to notice a point in Acts the 16th chapter. As you're turning to Acts chapter 16, notice Paul has been in prison. Paul and Silas have been in prison. And the text says that they were released from prison. Now, verse 40, they went out of prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Paul and Silas encouraged Lydia's household. I want to suggest to you they did more than just spend time with them. They encouraged them by the things they had to say. But here's the point I want you to see. That they had to be with them in order to say things that were encouraging. 
You ever have anybody that uh, cries out, well, we just don't feel like we were getting encouragement. That's why we left the church at Northfield and went somewhere else. We just weren't getting encouragement. Sometimes that's the very person who comes in at the last minute and as soon as amen is said, they dart out the door, but nobody there was encouraging me. You have to spend time with brethren for them to encourage you. You have to spend time with brethren for them to say anything that is encouraging. But here's what I'm learning from Acts chapter 16. We're encouraged by being with faithful brethren. But let's go a little bit further. We're encouraged by seeing those of mutual faith. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. Paul wrote to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 1. And notice in verse 12 that he was encouraged by their mutual faith. That is that I may be encouraged. He's hoping to come is what he's talking about in the context. That is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. You see, when you're around someone who doesn't have that faith, that may not be encouraging. But when you're around other people who share in that mutual faith, that is encouraged. What an encouragement it is to be around someone who has strong faith. And you spend some time with someone and you recognize the strength of their faith and the stand they take for the cause of Christ. What an encouragement that would be. But let's go further. Things that encourage being with brethren of mutual faith. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2, if you will, and let's talk about encouragement comes when we, when our hearts indeed are knit together. Mutual love binds our hearts together. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to spend a couple of uh, times tonight in Colossians chapter 2. We'll come back to it in another, another point. But notice in Colossians 2 and in verse 2, we'll come back and get verse 1 a little bit later, that their hearts may be encouraged. There's our word. Being knit together in love, that's to make, enough to make the point we're talking about. And we'll come back and thread all of that together in a moment. But here's what I'm learning from that, that when we see and understand that our hearts are knit together in love, that is encouraging. I'm encouraged by that, and you're encouraged by that. So when you're around brethren that love you and you love them, and, and our hearts are blending and knit together, that's an encouragement. And Paul talked about that in Colossians chapter 2 and in verse 2. Things that encourage... Knowing that God is with us, the word of God, being with brethren of mutual faith. But here's the fourth thing. Seeing the clarity of truth versus error. Seeing the clarity of truth versus error is encouraging. We can be encouraged in the midst of controversy. And brethren were encouraged in the midst of the controversy over circumcision in Acts chapter 15. So let's go to Acts 15. We came to that a few moments ago. And I said we'd come back. So let's go to Acts chapter 15. Acts 15 is dealing with the controversy over the matter of circumcision. The issue had arose over at Antioch. They sent men to Jerusalem to the elders and to the apostles concerning the matter. And so let's begin listing what we learned from the context. Let's start at verse 5. Verse 5 said the issue was troubling the church. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Well, that was stirring up the church at Antioch. Well, now we go further and notice in verses 7 to 21, when they got to Antioch, they had discussion and they had debate. 
In other words, this was a controversial, heated issue. There were three major speeches that were being made. And so Peter stands up in verses 7 through 11, and he makes a speech about how that Cornelius and his household were not required to be circumcised in order to be saved. Paul and Barnabas stand up, and here's what they say at verse 12. They said, when we went out preaching in the missionary journey in chapters 13 and 14, we were not requiring that, and God said that was okay. How do you know God said that was okay? He approved of it by the miracles we performed. Beginning at verse 13 to 21, James stands up and he makes a speech and said, Amos 9 talked about this very matter and spoke specifically of the Gentiles coming into the kingdom of God. And so they had discussion and they had debate. Now notice when they finally came to their conclusion about the matter, drop down to verse 28. I'm still in Acts 15, drop down to verse 28. The credit was attributed to the Holy Spirit. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. So their conclusion was from these three speeches, the Holy Spirit has revealed to us circumcision is not binding. Now remember, this is in the midst of controversy. So they wrote a letter to the church in Antioch to clarify now, there's more to the letter than this, but basically the letter said, as it was sent back to the church at Antioch, we have given no such commandment. The apostles and God has not required any commandment to be circumcised in order to be saved. Now then, notice verse 30 and 31. When the church at Antioch got this letter, start at verse 30 now. When they were sent off, they came to Antioch and they gathered the multitude together and they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Isn't that interesting? Oh, I don't like controversy. I don't like controversy. I just, I just like things that are encouraging. I don't like controversy. I don't like going to those debates. I don't like hearing someone answer someone else's error. I don't like saying someone else is wrong. That's so discouraging to me. When they got this letter and said, here's what we discussed. Here's what went on. Here's the answer to the question. They were encouraged right in the midst of all of that controversy, seeing the contrast of truth versus error. We are encouraged by a reminder of the truth we already believe. How often have you heard a sermon and you go out and you tell the preacher, well, I've heard that before. As if that's not encouraging. I, I wanted to know something I didn't know before. You see, I've heard that before. I've heard those lessons on baptism. I've heard those lessons on, on Philippians. I've heard those lessons from, from uh, the Sermon on the Mount. I've heard all that stuff before. See, I want to hear something I, I don't know. I wanted some encouragement. But when you hear a lesson that is a reminder of the truth you already believe, that is encouraging. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 12. Go to 1 Peter with me. Chapter 5, and let's go to verse 12. Peter was saying, Basilvanus, our faithful brother, I consider him, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace in which you stand. New Century Version says, I wrote to encourage you. I wrote to encourage you. That's what I was trying to do. Now, the point of the book is demonstrated in chapter 1, 15, and 16 was you're to live holy in all of your conduct. In other words, what you believe is true, thus continue in that. Go back again and read verse, verse 12 with me. He said, I wrote to you exhorting you or encouraging, the new century says, 
that this is the true grace in which you stand. What I'm trying to tell you is what you already believe is true and don't give up on it. So you say, well, I heard that lesson on baptism and I knew all that stuff. I need some encouragement. I want to tell you that lesson on baptism tells you that what you believed and what you obeyed is the right thing and you stay on that right course. David or Leland gets up here and they preach on the resurrection of Christ and defend that we believe in the resurrection of Christ. And you say, I've heard that before. I want some encouragement. That tells you that you're on the right course. Stay on it. It's encouraging. What you already know being confirmed is encouraging. Let's notice that again in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter uh, 13 and in verse 22. Hebrews 13 and in verse 22. Here the Hebrew writer gives a word of exhortation. He said, I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation for I have written to you in few words. How about the letter being called a word of exhortation? Again, the new century said, I've written to encourage you. The point of the book is twofold. Chapters one through nine, the whole point of the book is Jesus is the right way. You're on the right course. The rest of the book is saying, don't give up. And so every lesson, every time you hear something you've already heard and you already know, that is encouraging because it's telling you you're on the right course. Things that encourage Here's something else that encourages. Knowing our brethren are doing well in other places. Hearing good reports about our brethren. Let's go to the book of Philippians, if you will, chapter 2. Let's go to Philippians, chapter 2, and in verse 19. Paul was encouraged by the report he would receive from Timothy. Notice what he said, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I may be encouraged when I know of your estate. In other words, Timothy's going to come to you and he's going to come back and he's going to tell me how things are going over there. He's going to give me a report. And what I hope is that I am encouraged by that. Let's notice one more passage along that line. In Ephesians chapter 6. Again, I remind you, I hope you're underlining these words encourage because every time you come across those later, you might be reminded, you know what, that, that, that is encouraging right there in that context. Look at verse 22. Paul said in Ephesians 6 and verse 22, whom I sent to you for this very purpose that you may know of our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. The English standard version says to encourage your hearts. In other words, the Ephesians would be encouraged when they find out how Paul is doing. Here's how things are going for us. You should be encouraged. I don't know what you practice here, but we, once a month or so, once every five or six weeks, we get up and uh, have one of our deacons read the reports of men that we support. And here's someone, brother so-and-so, and he sends this report about how the work is going in the Philippines. And here's how the work is going in India. And here's how the work is going in North Carolina. Here's how the work is going somewhere else. And for the most part, brethren appreciate that. But every once in a while, someone may indicate, do we have to really take up time to read that? Yeah, that's encouraging. (laughs) That's encouraging to know things are going well in the Philippines or going well over in India or going well over in Kentucky or somewhere else where we may be helping in the gospel. That's encouraging. There's something else that's encouraging. Being urged to be faithful is encouraging. Let's go to Acts chapter 11, and let's talk about a man whose name meant 
encouragement itself. Acts chapter 11, verse 22. The gospel came to Antioch and many believed and responded and received the grace of God. Now we have a church at Antioch. But when got Barnabas and brought him there. Where have we seen Barnabas? Well, Acts chapter 4 and verse 36 says that Barnabas was named Barnabas because his name meant son of encouragement. That's what that means. He was an encourager. So look at verse 22. When the news of this came to the church in Jerusalem, they sent out Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and encouraged them all. That with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. What are you learning from that? Well, I learned from that, that when he talked to them, he talked to them about what they should do. Now, let's notice this phrase found right here at verse 23, that they should, with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. The very idea of what they should do is telling us that here's what God requires of us. In other words, he talked to them, here's a requirement of God. Not that it would be better if, or I think this would enhance your life. Here's what you should do. Here's what God commands of you. And then he tells them they should continue with the Lord. In other words, you need to be faithful. He didn't tell them if you get a chance to do a little better, but you need to be faithful. And you need to do that with purpose of heart, with focus and determination. And when he did that, he was, according to this text, encouraging them. You see, if an elder comes to you or a fellow Christian comes to you and says to you, you know what, you could do better. The Lord, encouraged, the Lord says you need to do better. You, you need to be more faithful. You need to be more diligent. They are encouraging you. Any instruction and any reminder of the commands or requirements is an encouragement. Whether someone does that one-on-one or whether it's the elders coming and talking to you or calling you in to talk with you or from the pulpit or from a Bible class, any encouragement, any instruction, here is what God requires. That is encouraging. Things that encourage. Being assured of the promise of the future is encouraging. Being assured of the promise of the future is encouraging. Let's go to Acts chapter 27. In Acts chapter 27, we have Paul in the midst of a shipwreck. And I want to start at verse 20. He was in the midst of a terrible, terrible storm. And Luke, as he records this, as we mentioned um, earlier in our studies, that Luke said at verse 20, and I'm paraphrasing, and we'll come back and read the phrase, but he's basically saying in, in verse 20, I thought we were all goners. Notice what he said. He said, neither, when neither the sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we should be saved was finally given up. We'd given up hope. I thought this was over. Thought we were all going to perish in the sea. But Paul said there appeared to him an angel of God who told him there would be no loss of life, but only a ship. Notice verse 23 to 25. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, who said, do not be afraid, Paul, for you should be brought before Caesar. Indeed, God has granted you and all those who sail with you. Now take heart, for I believe God that it will be just as he told me. Well, he repeats that again in verse 31 and 34 and 35. God told me concerning the future, we're not going to die. Now, I want you to notice that verse 36 However, he said, now drop down to verse 36, when all of this was said, they were all encouraged and they took food themselves. 
Reckon what encouraged them. When it looked like everything was over and all was lost. And he said, an angel appeared to me and said, we're not going to lose our life. The ship will be destroyed, but we're not going to lose our life. They were all encouraged. There was a glimpse of the future. Now, what I want to suggest to you is that any passage in any study that points to God's promises in the future are encouraging. It may be the promise of it coming again. It may be the promise of the hope of eternal life. It may be the promise he will hear and answer our prayers. It may be the promise he will never leave us nor forsake us. That's got to be encouraging. So anytime you're opening your Bible and you see here's a promise concerning the future, that is indeed encouraging. Things that encourage. Being emboldened to face difficulties is encouraging. I said we'd come back to Colossians chapter 2. And so let's turn to Colossians chapter 2 and verses 1 and 2. Notice in verse 1, I said we'd come back and get the context. Paul wanted the brethren to know of the difficulties and the struggles that he had endured. Notice what he said. For I want you to know what great conflict I have for you and for those in Laodicea for as many as have not seen our face in the flesh. And let's stop there and come back to verse 2 in a moment. He said, I want you to be well aware of all the conflict and all the troubles we had for you and working on your behalf. What's he saying? Is he saying, I, I want you to be sympathetic to me? I want you to feel sorry for me. That's not what he's interested in. He wanted them to know concerning all of that. Now, verse 2, that with that knowledge of the conflict that Paul had endured, they would be encouraged. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attain to all riches the full assurance and understanding to the knowledge of the mystery, both of the Father and of Christ. In other words, here is this conflict we had. You being knowledgeable of that should encourage you. How so? Well, I like what Barclay said here. Barclay commenting on Colossians 2 and verse 2 said, Paul prays that their hearts may be encouraged. The word he uses here, pericolean, sometimes the word means to comfort, sometimes to exhort, but always behind it is the idea of enabling a person to meet some difficult situation bravely and with confidence. One of the Greek historians uses it in the most interesting and thought-provoking way. There was a Greek regiment that had almost lost heart and utterly dejected. The general sent a leader to talk to them with such purpose that courage was reborn and the spirit of the body of dispirited men became fit again for heroic action. That is what Pericolean means here. It is Paul's prayer that the church may be filled with that courage with which they can cope with any situation. You see the point he's making? So you read of the conflicts of Paul and you read of the struggles of the first century disciples. And you read of the suffering they went through and the persecution they went through. And you say, what does that mean to me? What that should do, that should encourage you. How so? That it emboldens you to have a renewed strength to face your trials and your tribulations as well. That's the point being made in Colossians 2 and in verse 2. To stir to greater strength. Things that encourage. Something that is encouraging is recommendation by brethren recommendation by brethren is encouraging. Let's go to the Acts, the 18th chapter. Let's go to Acts chapter 18. In Acts 18 and in verse 27, you remember Apollos had to be corrected 
by Aquila and Priscilla, because of the misunderstanding and lack of knowledge that he had concerning the revelation of God, but now that he's on the straight and the narrow, and we'll come back to that in just a second, the church at Ephesus encouraged Apollos and they recommended him. Look at verse 27. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote exhorting, there's our word, the disciples to receive him. In other words, after he had accepted and corrected the, the, uh, and gained understanding, now they're ready to correct him. I like the English Standard rendering of that. The brothers encouraged him and wrote the disciples to welcome him. The American Standard said the brethren encouraged him and wrote the disciples to receive him. They encouraged him. What they do? They recommended him. In other words, when brethren show confidence in you, that's encouraging. When they show confidence and they recommend you to another congregation where you're going to move, when they show confidence in you by welcoming you as a member, when they commend you for the good job that you do and whatever it is that you may be doing, when they tell you they have confidence that you can endure, you can face this trial, you can stand up to this. I know you can. That is encouraging. One last thing and the lesson will be yours. When wrong is corrected, that also is encouraging. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. And in verse 1, 1 Timothy 5 and verse 1, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers. Here's a case where you are to exhort or encourage rather than rebuke. Now there's a place for rebuke. Like 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Titus 2 would say, rebuke them sharply. There's a place for that. But here in this context, due to the age difference, that's the idea of the elder of the King James Version here. Here is one who is older rather than a strong, severe rebuke. You correct that wrong with encouragement. So here's what I learned from that. That is when you approach someone or you are approached by someone in the right spirit, about correcting some wrong, that is encouragement. Someone said, I went to church and I was hoping to get some encouragement. I feel, I feel down. I, I, I don't feel good about myself and, and I want some encouragement. And maybe someone in the right spirit encouraged you to correct your wrong, urged you to correct your wrong, urged you to get your life on the right track. And you said, that wasn't encouraging though. According to 1 Timothy 5, that's encouraging. That is encouraging. That is encouragement. Well, this has been somewhat of a word study tonight, things that encourage. And I hope you kept up with that and underlined some things. And as you go back through your New Testament, there'll be passages that'll pop up that have the word encouragement underlined. You say, what's that about? Something that encourages. And so we began on the note, everyone needs encouragement, but it may be that God is giving me encouragement and I didn't even realize it. It may be that someone else has encouraged me and I didn't know they were encouraging me. Some of the things that I think maybe are discouraging are things that are really are encouraging. What is encouraging? Knowing that God's with us. Any study of the word of God is encouraging. Being with brethren of mutual faith, seeing the clarity of truth versus error, knowing that our brethren are doing well, being urged to be faithful, being assured of the promise of the future, being emboldened to face challenges, 
being recommended by our brethren and our wrongs being corrected are indeed encouraging. Tonight, we would encourage you to obey the gospel. You may not like being urged to respond to correct sin in your life, but that is encouragement. We're going to sing the song of invitation. That's also referred to sometimes as the song of encouragement. We're encouraging you to respond to the invitation this evening. If you're not a Christian, would you become one this evening? Would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins, acknowledge your faith, and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come while together we stand while we sing?